This is Jessica. And this is Kelly. And this is the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we have with us Rach Hepner. She is behind Real Health with Rach. She's a holistic nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and fertility specialist, integrative nutrition health coach, and recipe developer. She started her brand in 2019 as a place to share delicious recipes that make healthy eating easy and attainable. Since then, her business has grown into an integrative health coaching practice that allows her to serve women and help them achieve their health and wellness goals. She really believes that health is our greatest gift and most precious resource, and she wants to help women feel amazing, love their body, and create sustainable, healthy habits to maintain for life. Welcome, Rach. Hi, ladies. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I know. And we're like, we've shared, we're obsessed with health and longevity and feeling our best. So we're so excited. This is just going to be, um, we're going to be asking for a friend the whole time. You know, we want to know, um, yep. all of this stuff. So, um, we'd love to just hear a little bit about real health with Rach. Yeah. Well, the best place for me to start is with my health journey, because I think all invention is born out of necessity. And that was very much the case for me. So I started my business by accident, to be honest, because I was on a journey to heal my own body. And I realized how much of a need there was for other women in my life, because as I started healing, people started asking me what I was doing. And they're like, well, I'm having the same issue. So what did you do to fix it? Because I've been trying to fix it and I haven't been able to. So I started just by helping friends and family. And then I started my blog online, just sharing recipes and lifestyle tips before it really became what it is today. Um, And that was really due in part to my own journey to get where I am now and wanting to help other women to get to the same place. Mm -hmm. Were there any particular health issues that you were struggling with or what had you think that you weren't, you know, at your best? Yeah. So my health issues started when I was 15. I was taken to the gynecologist by my mom because I was having irregular periods and acne. I think as many teenage girls are probably struggling with because our bodies are just trying to figure out which way is up. And I left that visit with a prescription for hormonal birth control. Um, I was not sexually active. I didn't really know what it was, but my doctor just said, this will fix your problems. And I was like, that's what I'm looking for. So I took her at her word and I started taking the pill at 15. And I went on to spend the next decade of my life getting more and more sick. And so my acne went from mild to severely cystic. Um, I didn't know at the time, but you just don't have a period on birth control. You have a withdrawal bleed. So that was something that I was like, oh, my period's finally regular. No, I wasn't having a period at all. I ended up with severe anxiety and depression and then ended up on medication and antidepressants to treat that. I started having migraines, ended up on medication for migraines. Mm. As a result of the antidepressants, I couldn't sleep. So I ended up on pills to help me try to sleep. I was then diagnosed with hypothyroidism a few years later and ended up on medication for my thyroid. And my acne was continuing to worsen. So I ended up on medication for my acne. And so I woke up in probably at this point, you know, 11, 12 years ago, I was on six medications. I was very, very unhealthy. I weighed 50 pounds more than I weigh now. I had an extremely toxic relationship with food. I had developed a binge eating disorder as a result of chronic dieting, trying desperately to avoid the weight gain that was happening. And every doctor I went to just wrote me another prescription. And I was like, I'm not getting better. Like there has to be more to this than what I'm being led to believe. Because if you're saying this prescription is the fix, and then I need another prescription for the side effects of the first prescription, and then I end up with another condition and I need another medication, where is this coming from? And, and I so I actually went to school. Doctors aren't talking, right? Like right. if you're getting yeah. antidepressants, that might be from the psychiatrist mm-hmm. who's not talking with the dermatologist, who's yeah. not talking with the primary care doctor, yep. you know, and so not everybody knows how everything's playing with or against each other. And then I just, I wanted to follow up. I have not heard of withdrawal bleed. 
Kelly, have you? No. Okay. I want to, I just, sorry. I want to ask questions about that. So you're saying that when you're on oral contraceptives, when you're on the sugar pill for that week, it's not a period. Right. Yeah. So withdrawal bleed. When the hormonal birth control pill was first created in the 1960s, there was no bleed because it was not medically necessary. And women gave feedback that it made them uncomfortable because not having a period means that you're pregnant. So they manufactured a withdrawal bleed to give women a sense of security that you are not pregnant, but it is medically engineered because the, in order to have a period, you need to ovulate because your period, your menstruation is a result of ovulation that did not end in fertilization. Right. And so with no ovulation, there is no period. And so women have a withdrawal bleed and that's true of the pill. And it's true of women that have IUDs as well. Hmm. And that was something I didn't know. I just thought, okay, I'm not ovulating. Okay. My brain's wrapping around this. Mm -hmm. So you're not ovulating. So no egg dies and goes unfertilized. And so there's nothing to kind of slough off and. Right. Yeah. Birth control works by shutting off the connection between our brain and our ovaries which means that you do not ovulate, you're not having a cycle, you're not having a period. And, you know, a lot of young women are told that it pauses fertility. You know, my mom was concerned, you know, what if my daughter wants to have kids? Don't worry about it. This pauses fertility. And we now know that long-term use of hormonal birth control can shrink your ovaries by up to 50%, which means it does not put a pin in your fertility. Smaller ovaries mean fewer eggs, fewer follicles, which means more difficulty becoming pregnant later, especially now that women are staying on birth control until I was on it for 12 years, um, 30, 32, 35. You know, I see clients upwards of 37 to 40 that want to start a family that are Mm -hmm. still on birth control. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, well, this was protecting my fertility. And non-productive cycles do not protect your fertility. Those eggs continue to die off, whether you're having a cycle or not, but your ovaries become less productive. It's like if you haven't started your car in 10 years, what are the chances it's going to start when you put that key in? The oil is stagnant. The battery's probably dead. The engine's not working. And then women are ready to start a family. One of the reasons I specialize in fertility is because there is so much infertility in our society now. That we just throw away our birth control. All right, I'm ready to get in the sheets with my my partner. Yes. I'm ready to start yes. a family. And then it's not happening. And they're like, well, what's wrong? And then guess what? Women are put on a conveyor belt of fertility yes. treatment. Yes. That is hideously expensive. And it's like, are we creating the, our own problem here because of the money to be made in fertility? And women don't even know how their bodies work. I did not feel informed at 15 years old to make a decision to go on a medication that could alter the entire trajectory of my life and my fertility. And I don't even want children. So I feel lucky to you know, have the know-how that I do now to help other women. But I work with women that have spent 10,000, 30,000, $100,000 on yeah. fertility treatment that had been on birth control for a long time, not realizing what the long-term damage. Well, it's, it's so fascinating. So I had a bad, experience with oral contraceptives I remember I don't know I just I don't know I didn't like the way it made me I'm trying to think it didn't make the way the way it feel maybe let's say I found one and then insurance didn't cover it and I remember I had this male doctor with this book and there was like I don't really know the literal number but like hundreds he goes we can he goes you could go through this forever to try to find something you know like there's so many and then I went on another one and then I was like crazy. I was, I mean, I, I was like a crazy person. And I remember I was dating my husband and his aunt and she still works with pharmaceutical companies. And she was like, oh, cause nobody told me the side effects. Right. And she was like, oh, here are the side effects. Yeah. Um, you're crazy. Like crazy was on there. And so I was like, forget no. it. Like, especially like after the one doctor said, there's so many, it's like, I'm not going to spend my life trying to find this and this and this and this and this. And I, I believe, I believe I originally went on it. I don't even know why, probably for really painful periods. Who knows why I originally went on it. And then I had a great, um, a great doctor was like, you don't need to be on birth control. 
You know, right. she was like, if you have the same partner, you know, if you're monogamous, these are the different things that you can use for birth control and you don't have to have oral contraceptives. Cause I just felt like there weren't a lot of, I didn't, I wasn't aware of a lot of options. Right. And we did not want to have a child at that time. I know Kelly, you and I have had, I've been on IUD before. We've had a lot of friends who started feeling crazy on that, you know, like just like the hormones yeah. and all the things. And then they were like, oh, I had my IUD taken out and now I don't feel crazy anymore. And so yeah. I think just for us anecdotally our you know, personally, and then for other people, um, the emotional, like mental health stuff that's happening um, with being on, um, you know, whatever manufactured contraceptives. Well, or whatever, I think it's so interesting that you say what you were saying, Rach, because um, the perception is so like us being you know, having had children, it was not easy to have, to get pregnant at all. And there was this perception. I remember when I went off the pill and you're like trying and the first couple months go by and you're trying, you're like, I don't understand. Like you hear all these people who got pregnant the first time they got off the pill. There's all these things about that. And it wasn't the case. And having my IUD removed was the same thing. Actually, that was a whole different trauma anyway, because they couldn't have it ahead of a special procedure. And that was terrible. Um, but this whole thing about the, for whatever the, the misconception that if you have those things that as soon as you get off them, your fertility just bounces back to the way it. Right. Yeah. I think that no one's hormonal issues are caused by a lack of synthetic hormones from birth control. That is never the root cause for anyone. If you're having acne, irregular periods, painful periods, PMS, the root cause of that is not a lack of birth control ever. And we don't look for the root cause in our medical system. And honestly, it's not even the fault of doctors because they're set up to fail because yeah. they maybe get 10 minutes with a patient. Correct. You know, I went in, I got a pelvic exam, which, you know, that was not fun at 15. Nobody prepared me for that at 15 years old. And you leave with a piece of paper. Um, and at the time, unbeknownst to me, I have PCOS and PCOS mm -hmm. is commonly treated. I say that in air quotes because birth control is not a treatment for PCOS, but I was never diagnosed. And so it took me over a decade to finally get the right diagnoses. And even at that point, they said, well, the only treatment we can give you is birth control. So we recommend that you just stay on it. And I was like, right, but I, uh, something is still wrong in my body. To your point with the mental health issues, I didn't like jump into the cold end of the pool when I started birth control. I mostly felt fine in the beginning. Mine was a slow degradation of my health where I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize that it was the birth control. And when I went to doctors and asked, well, could my birth control be causing this? They said, no, 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 no. You know, you're just, you're in college, you're stressed, you know, life's hard. I just got all of these other things. Nobody made the birth control the villain. And so, you know, fast forward, you know, I'm probably five years into my own health journey. And I was like, I think my birth control might be the problem here. And, you know, I, I went to school for business. I had no intention of getting into nutrition. And it was really by necessity that I went back to school and I started I'm turning over every rock and reading every book. And I realized maybe the birth control is part of the problem here. And that's when I finally came off it myself. And, you know, every time I go on a podcast or talk about this, I always add the disclosure. If you are thinking about coming off birth control, please do not stop birth control cold turkey. I stopped my birth control cold turkey. I was like, F this. I threw it in the garbage. I was like, all right, new me starts tomorrow. That was not what happened. Um, I'd been on it for so long that I developed severe post birth control syndrome where my acne flared very severely. I gained an additional 15 pounds over the course of six weeks. My hair started falling out. It was bad. Wow. And I didn't understand because doctors don't tell us that you need to have a process in place to detox from synthetic hormones. They build up in our fat tissue, they build up in our liver and our bloodstream and ripping that bandaid off when there's still a wound under there that needs to be taken care of causes rebound symptoms. If you were trying to suppress acne, suppress terrible periods, suppress PMS, whatever issue you were suppressing usually comes back with a vengeance because the underlying issue was still there the whole time. It was just being masked by the hormones and the birth control. And that's what happened to me. 
So then I had to spend the next 12 months really working on detoxing the synthetic hormones because I'd been on it for 12 years. I had so much built up in my body that I needed to get rid of to get my period back to get rid of my acne. Um, and now even as someone with PCOS, I have a very regular cycle. I have no PMS. My period surprises me every time it shows up. It only lasts a couple of days. And I was told that I was never gonna have that because of PCOS, that there was no cure. There was no hope for me. And there is so much hope. I work with women with PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid dysfunction, to show them your body wants to heal. We just need to give her the tools to do so and create an environment that is conducive for healing. And in, in most cases, that does not include pharmaceutical drugs that are just suppressing the problems. We get, I know Kelly and I get very frustrated with uh, get a prescription, get a prescription, then have a prescription and another prescription. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, and, and, and I'm not anti-medication. There are, there is a time and a place for us to have medication, Absolutely. but it's like, what have we tried first, right? So many, our, our bodies are fascinating and amazing and we can heal ourselves in so many, right. In so many ways. Um, and um, it is so frustrating. I think, um, Hormones are so powerful. You know, I have clients and I'm like, can you track your cycle? Right. I'll have clients and they're like, you know, freaking out. Right. Like something must be wrong with me because I'm really tired. Well, let's track. When are you tired? Oh, Jessica, you're right. Whatever. The third week of my cycle, I'm super tired. You know, but I think if they would go to a doctor, they'd be like, oh, here, I don't know, have this pill. You're depressed or have this pill. And I just. Or think, you're just a mom. Moms yeah. are tired. Yeah. You have kids. Yeah. Like we just, we justify, we minimize, especially women. Um, we get our symptoms written off, dismissed, or downplayed far more often than men. Um, most women don't know this, that they trialed decades ago now, male birth control. And the side effects were so severe that they said, this is unethical. We cannot continue the trials. And guess what the side effects were? Waking, loss of libido, mental health issues, hair loss, change in mood. All of the, the side effects that we said were okay for women to have. Right. That when experienced by men, they actually discontinued trials and said like, this is unethical to continue. That's crazy. And I know Kelly, you had a stat. Kelly, weren't you reading something about just um, science and trials uh, percentages with women and men? Or am I making that up? Well, just remember, I don't remember anything from like oh, an hour right. ago. That's right. <laughs> Kelly so, is a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, it's hey, probably not funny. She There's probably, probably something tied to that. It could be my IUD. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't talk about memory loss. Um, it's, but it's true. Oh, you're right about actually it's about medical research, right? Mm -hmm. How much right. medical research is spent on men more than women and just how such an unknown unstudy universe it is with women and their fertility. And because we have such a cause and effect or like, um, what do I want to say? Like diagnose, treat the symptoms type of society with me the medical field the whole fertility piece is a, a good example right you can't get pregnant you have a fertility issue go on clomed right that's like the usual the, yeah. there's all these gimme things right you have high cholesterol you go on a statin like all these things nobody really looks to try to treat some underlying symptoms especially when i, I get that some people need that stuff yes but when you're giving somebody the prescriptions and it's like a really low dose too like did they really need that could there have been something a little bit more practical that gets handled and i think that is like here here in lies the like inter um functional medicine and what do you go to oh integrative integrative medicine. right mm -hmm. um where they do try to and holistic right rach like trying to look at the whole person and um and truly kind of like treat from that point of view and it's not happening as much. And, um, I think also though, the older generation, like our parents, 
they came from a generation where there wasn't a lot of medicine. Right. So like they love, like my mom, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't like slam my parents, but even my in-laws are the same. When they go to the doctor and they get an antibiotic, they love that because they're like, oh, it's going to fix me and I'm going to move on. And I'm just like, no, you just got off an it's antibiotic. Your gut flora. Like, I'm like, yes. do I have to go on antibiotic? And like one time I did something and I was telling my husband, like, I think it's okay. He was like, your finger. And my husband's a doctor. And I, he was like, it, it is like horrible. Like you're going to, you know, like lose your finger. I'm like, do I have to go on antibiotic? I don't want to no. kill my gut flora. And he was like, um, for this one, babe, you're going to have to go on antibiotic. I was like, okay, right. But it's like, I just think of all of the things it kills in your, it's not just killing. Oh, we're just going to kill the one little thing. We're going to kill everything. And it's true. Like mom's like, oh, I can go to the now clinic. And I talked to the doctor and they just gave me, I'm like, can we talk about why you're having that two times a year, mom? Like I want to, is anybody exploring the why? And I know for baby boomers, um, it's our experience with our parents, in-laws, aunts, uncles, right? It's like, they're only kind of thinking of a Western medicine type mm-hmm. Because but they didn't to. have medicine before, like their fa- parents didn't have any medicine. So they all like just died off of random diseases, let's <laughs> yeah. say. And so they're like, yes, I'm not going to die. I have a pill. And now we're more like, nah. I I am so grateful for modern medicine, for emergency care, acute care, surgery, things that, like you said, we could not treat a hundred years ago, even things we couldn't treat 50 years ago right. that now, like if I break my leg, I don't want someone putting essential oils on it. Okay. <laughs> right. I want to go to the emergency room and I want them to fix it. Right. And we do a great job of treating acute illness with modern yes. medicine, yeah. yes. but we do not treat chronic illness well with modern medicine, because if you want to, yes, technically PCOS has no cure. That is a chronic illness if you want to consider it that. But you can put it in remission. You can be symptom-free. That is an option that does not include medication. And it took me a while, yes, to wean off all of my medications that I was on, but I got there and it didn't happen overnight. And that's what I tell people is, you know, think about how long you've had the issues you've had. For me, I think about, you know, this started 15 years ago for me now, and it was taking one step in front of another, in front of another. But our society, our culture is Amazon Prime. I want to like, if it doesn't show up in two days, I'm pissed off. I'm like, yeah. wait, it's not Prime eligible. It's not going to be here in 48 hours. Yeah, that's, like, what I'm out. am I living in? Yeah. I need and some so shoes pres- now. Yes. <laughs> right. Prescriptions give us the illusion Absolutely. of a shortcut. Yeah. Just yes. take this pill and you can skip to the front of the line. But what they don't see is we basically just like put a mirror over the line so you don't see it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, like I skip right to the front of the line, but everything is still happening under there. Um, there's no free lunch. Our bodies are way too smart. We cannot outsmart our biology and mother nature. And our hormones, especially as women, they control everything that we do. How we feel, how we sleep, our energy, our productivity, our periods. Every single thing in our body is controlled by hormones. And that's why I chose to specialize in it was because I had that realization myself. After chronic dieting, after having a terrible relationship with food, I realized, oh, no amount of calorie counting or exercise is going to heal my hormones. That is not a treatment for any underlying hormonal imbalance. And so I was approaching my symptom, my weight gain, not looking for the root cause. And our symptoms are the last thing to happen in the disease cycle. Everything happens first. All of the pieces get put in place and then you have the symptom. Mm -hmm. You don't start with the symptom and work backwards to the root cause. So it's it's already like a well-worn path by the Mm -hmm. time you notice it. Well, it could, I guess so. Cause to your point then when those are happening, it's sort of like that like any sensitivity in some way, right? Then your cup gets filled up and then you're already overflowing. So you've already overtaxed that area when the symptom comes up. So Rach, how did you, with your journey, especially with PCOS, like there's not a lot of information readily available to women on some of these in terms of treating them without like medically treating them. So tell us about how did you go about that fact finding mission and sort of your own journey on like, addressing that yeah yes. you took yourself off everything mm-hmm. got worse for a yep. minute and so and then yeah some it's like 
the only way out is through sometimes that's what I tell people is like, at least for me. And that's my goal is to have women not have the same experience that I had was if women come to me and they're like, okay, I'm on birth control. And my goal is to be pregnant at the end of the year. There are certain things that we have to do. There are steps we have to take to get you where you want to go first. Okay. We're going to detox you from your birth control safely and effectively. So you don't have the experience that I had. You don't have the effort, throw it in the garbage and all hell breaks loose. And then I think in terms of fact finding, the most important thing we can do as women is get functional lab testing done for our hormones. So anytime someone comes to work with me, I'm doing their, their labs. We're doing functional lab testing for their hormones to say like, we need to know what's going on under the hood of your car because your car is different than my car, Kelly, and your car is different than Kelly's car, Jessica. Like everybody's internal system looks a little different. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if someone comes to me and they say, well, I'm having irregular periods, I'm having chronic fatigue, I don't want to have sex with my partner, I'm super unmotivated during the day, my cravings are through the roof, I can't lose a single pound, okay, maybe that's estrogen dominance or androgen dominance or progesterone deficiency or adrenal dysfunction, but we need to know the what in order to know what we need to do about it. And so your symptoms... Tell us the what I am having an irregular period and your labs tell us the why you're having an irregular period because of androgen dominance, estrogen dominance, et cetera. And so it's finding out what's going on under the hood of your own car so that you can take the right steps. Mm-hmm. I feel like I stumbled around in a dark room for years looking for a light switch and I could have just turned on a flashlight and found the light switch a hell of a lot faster. Yeah. And so when you say um, uh, functional lab testing, are you saying like a full metabolic panel or? So the lab testing I use, it's a hormone test called a Dutch test. And it stands for dried urine for comprehensive hormones. And it's a test women take at home. And you pee on strips of paper. It's, you know, like we use metabolites and hormones for a lot of things. Like that's how you take a pregnancy test, an ovulation test. We can see so much about your hormones in your urine. And that is not the way most doctors test. I asked to get my hormones tested for years and they said, no, 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 no. Don't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't bother. And when they finally gave in, because I kept badgering them, they only drew my blood. And it was random. They gave me a slip of paper and said, just go to Sonoran Quest. That's like our local lab here. They didn't tell me what time of day. They didn't tell me what day of my cycle. They just said, okay, go get a blood draw. And context matters. And so the Dutch test is taken on a certain day of your cycle if you're an ovulating woman. And you collect four to five samples in a 24-hour period. Because your hormones change throughout your cycle and throughout the day. And so, Jessica, if you tell me that your worst fatigue is happening at three o'clock in the afternoon, but we only tested your hormones at nine o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, okay, like your cortisol looks fine. I didn't even look at your hormones the time of day that you tell me you're feeling the worst. Right. Right. And so that matters when it comes to women's hormones. For men's hormones, it matters a lot less. They have a 24 hour cycle, their hormones change very little from day to day. We have a 28-day to 32-day cycle for most women yeah. called our infradian rhythm. And our yeah. hormones ride a larger, longer wave over the course of the month. And it matters when we test your hormones. It matters when we look at your metabolites. So that's what I do for my clients because it gives us the best insights and it helps us to create the roadmap. Okay, here's where you are. Here's where you want to go. And here are the roadblocks in your way that we need to remove to get there. Yeah. Well, and I went, I'm so annoyed because, you know, I hate the BMI. Okay. But according to the BMI rate, whatever, I have a high BMI. And I went to this doctor and I was like, I want to get some blood work to kind of just make sure everything's okay. And everyone kept giving me the freaking AC1, whatever for diabetes, which I want to, A1C. I want to punch him in the face. Cause like at the time, um, I was doing a ton of kind of like intermittent fasting and like, you know, I exercise, I'm super active. And I was just like so annoyed because they're like, oh, you have a high BMI, you must have diabetes. It was just really annoying to me because that's not what I was talking about. And so I I do have a nurse practitioner who I love and she went through, although I did do blood work because I'm I'm fascinated by this, this Dutch test, but she went, she went through 
And I came back, I met with her and went through every single thing and said, right here, see, you are in day 17 of your cycle. And this should be, you know, like she like mapped it with my cycle, which I thought was really fascinating. And so she's like, this is slow, but because of, you know, where you were in your cycle, it should be here. And I just thought that was really fascinating too, because I know Kelly and I have worked with functional practitioners before, you know, in modern medicine, let's say normal range is, you know, five to 10 and you're at five modern, you know, they'll be like, okay, you're fine. But are, you know, if you're with a practitioner, it's like, well, that's slow. Why are you bordering that? Why is that a five? And is there anything we can do to kind of explore, you know, what that looks like for you? And I, you know, and so um, I love that. It's so true. I know Kelly did the um, cortisol testing where she spit in the tube Mm -hmm. like four or five times or whatever to kind of see when her cortisol spikes. Mm -hmm. Right, Cal? I, yeah, no, I have, I anxiety. I struggle, I struggle with anxiety, um, and stress and just, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. In fact, I stepped out of like full, I really stepped out of full-time work because of that in a lot of ways. And I found a way to make that work for me um, because the stress and anxiety is so much and it does impact my cortisol. Um, Also being a mom and just as I've gotten older. So, but that's like one hormone, right? So, I mean, I think even what we're selfishly, I'm like, okay, I got that one sort of like, I have an understanding it's being addressed, blah, blah, blah. But this Dutch thing I'm curious about because yeah, you go to, I have my functional doctor and then I have an internal, my internist, right. And she'll do all the blood work and she says, everything's fine. And I go by functional doctor and he's like, ah, that's a little high, whatever. So my internist will say that she's tested the thyroid, but it's all blood draws. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I have a thyroid issue, but I think And I guess maybe, sorry, I'm rambling on, but I guess for me right now, it's like, I'm having like, we, as you get older, we struggle with weight loss Mm -hmm. more and more. Right. So, and part of that is being, eating healthy and exercising part of it is giving things time to like, I, I'm not going to like drop 10 pounds in two weeks. It, It is something that's a longer term lifestyle. And so I get that. But then part of me is like, are there other things at play sometimes that I don't know about that I need to make sure are in check? Yeah. Yeah. I see so many women, 35, 40, 45, 50. My oldest client is 62 right now. And it feels like the older we get as women, the steeper the hill, like the harder the uphill battle gets. And one of the reasons that that happens is because the form of estrogen that we make during our childbearing years is produced by our ovaries. And as we get older and our ovaries start producing less estrogen, our fat tissue, our adipose tissue starts making a different form of estrogen. So we actually make three different forms of estrogen as women. And most people don't know that because we just look at estradiol or E2, the primary form of estrogen, but we make E1, esterone, and E3, estriol. Estriol is associated with pregnancy. Esterone is associated with menopause. And so when we don't look at the full picture of let's look at your adrenals, let's look at your stress hormones, your DHEA, your cortisol, your cortisone, when do you make it? How do you use it? How well do you metabolize it? Look at your sex hormones. That's your pregnenolone, DHEA, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. And how do you make those? How do you metabolize those? We need to see we can't just look at your engine top down. Mm-hmm. We have to look at it from the side. We have to look at it as a cross section. And when it comes to thyroid, I'm passionate about thyroid health because I have hypothyroidism. And I just like recently shared one of my own labs on social media for my followers to show them that you would never know looking at my labs now that I have hypothyroidism. But I was on medication for a long time for it because I was told that was the way to treat it. And What I was never told by my doctor was when we look at normal ranges, all a lab has done is take every data point that they have in their system and create an average. It's not unique to your gender. It's not unique to your age. And they don't filter out sick people. So all you're getting is an average for every random woman, healthy person, sick person, 18-year-old, 80-year-olds. How is that... How is that a valuable data point for you as a 35-year-old woman who has had a child or multiple children who's saying, I feel fatigued and I can't lose weight? 
And it's like, oh, well, you're normal. Have a nice day. Like that's where I think like we are so underserved yeah. is we're all one of one limited edition. Yeah. And we can't just fit into this ginormous box that's been created because that's not how it works. So I we need to look this. I love this, Rach. I because Kelly and I talk about listening to your gut and tapping into you. And I always tell my kids I'm a unicorn. So when you get something and you're like, mm, I don't I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't feel right. You know, yeah. and I'm like, that doesn't feel right to me. That might be good for that person. But this unicorn over here is like, mm, I, that doesn't feel right. And so that's what you're saying, right? Is it's like an, when, when our intuition is telling us, no, like I am fatigued. And I know that they said it was normal, but that's not right. right. You know, when do you go off of a of a blood uh, blood work to get the number for a thyroid or how are you testing for thyroid levels? Yeah, the most effective way to test thyroid is with a blood draw. We can see some thyroid markers in your urine, but that's why like spits better for some, urine's better for some, mm -hmm. blood is better for some. Doing like a one size fits all blood draw to me is not the most effective. Like, yeah, I'll use a blood draw for thyroid, lipids, uh, glycemic measures, inflammatory markers, liver enzymes. There's a lot of really good stuff that we can see um, in blood. Some hormones you can see in blood that you can't see as much in urine, like a prolactin is a good example of that, of something that you'd see in a blood draw that's not on the Dutch. But most of my clients have had blood draws done, been told everything is normal. They know it's not, and they're looking for an alternative. Um, and I think as women, this was my experience. Maybe this resonates with you guys. We have been trained to respect and be submissive to authority figures. And that might have been our parents, our teachers, our bosses at work, and doctors, law enforcement. Like, think about all the authority figures in our society, okay? And so when you get told no, when you get told it doesn't matter, you're being, you're just being crazy. You're just tired because you're a mom. In most cases, women shut down and they'll stop asking. And so if you're seeing a doctor that's not listening to you, find a new doctor. Like there are thousands of doctors out there. You are not beholden to a doctor who's not listening to you. They work for you. Do not be mistaken. You are paying their salary. They work for you. And if you're not getting what you need, go find somebody else. And so that's why I run my practice the way that I do is I want women to feel heard. Yeah. If someone comes to me and they say, I'm super fatigued, my hair's falling out, I can't lose weight, my, I've got acne, my cravings are through the roof. I'm like, yeah, that sucks. You're right. Like we are going to figure it out because your symptoms are valid and you deserve to feel better than that. And you're not alone. This is not the Titanic. You're not going to end up on a floating piece of door by yourself with nobody else out there. It's like, okay, let's give you a life raft. Let's get you to safety. And that's what I didn't have. And what I want to give so deeply to other women, because it took me years to get where I am now. And I know that if I would have had the support I needed, I could have done it in months, maybe a year, but not, you know, 12 years of this journey that I've been on. And so becoming our own advocate, teaching women how to advocate for themselves, I think is so important. Absolutely. Because if we don't advocate for ourselves, nobody else is going to. But sometimes you don't even know what you're advocating for. Mm -hmm. Like, well, Rachel, what labs could I even order at my doctor? They said they're going to do a full thyroid panel and they tested TSH. Is this right? Is it not? Did I get what I needed? We don't even have enough education for women. We do not get the kind of sex ed that we should be getting to know how to even advocate for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's a huge gap in our society. Well, we're easily, I'm easily... <clears throat> I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have a medical background and I always give an example. My youngest had a lot of uh, breathing issues when he was very young, like under four months. And I went and they were like, he's not getting oxygen. You have to go to the ER. And I went to the ER and then they gave him all these drugs. And I don't know, right. You don't want your baby to die. He's so tiny. Okay. You give him all these steroids and then you go to the follow-up pediatrician. They're like, why is he on these steroids? This yeah. is way too much for a baby. And you're like, okay. You know, and then, okay, what do I take? And then they do this and do this. And that's how I feel as an adult, right? But they're like, oh, my gosh, you, you know, you need this and you need this. At the moment, you don't. OK, you don't know. I've got it. I can't tell you at that moment. Why are you giving me that? That sounds like this because I don't have that background. Right. I would have to go back, look it up, talk to other people. Um, I think that happens to so many of us. Right. We feel overwhelmed. Like you say, it's an authority it figure. Overwhelming. 
you don't have that background. They, you, you're assuming they know better than you. Um, or, or unless you personally, like I know Kelly and I obviously are huge bibliophiles and read a ton and we're nerds. And so, um, when they say like BMI, you know, like, I think I, I said this on the podcast before, but I always give an example. My son was like seven and he was really into gymnastics and had a six pack. And I went to this new pediatrician and she started to tell me his BMI, like he was obese according to BMI. And she said, you know, according to his BMI, and I was just like, I'm going to stop you right there. We're not doing this because as a therapist, I've seen people 20, 30 years later who started dieting young because the doctor said something and they hear people talking negative about it. And if you've, if you see my son to this day, he's just a thin, dense human that, you know, but it's like, if I weren't educated, right. And this doctor was saying, Hey, your son's obese according to the BMI and you need to like, whatever, give him a low fat, high sugar tomatoes or whatever you'd be like okay we have to rehaul everything he's eating because but that was just coincidentally something i was very educated on you know anyway yeah oh i mean it's whether it's kids or adults like i i grew i was lucky i grew up relatively thin and athletic and that's why i started to freak out so bad when i started to gain weight so fast it's really scary so do you think uh, so sorry I, I, I don't mean to interrupt your thought, but hearing what you just said right there, Jesse and I were very active and, and thin when we were in high school. And then what do you think about the freshman 15 then? I mean, do you think that's a misnomer too? Do you think women, as they continue to mature, their hormones are changing then? So you may not necessarily be gaining weight because you're eating too much in college. Although I did have a root beer float and bread every dinner, which I do think (laughs) contributed. You know, I think um, just like you brought up, Kelly, of like looking at the whole person. Yeah. If you look at the whole person as an 18, 19 year old girl going to college and all of the things that are changing, you know, I, I think back on my experience. Okay. I'm no longer living at home. I'm living with three roommates. I'm going to, I'm at college, taking college classes all the time. You know, I'm eating at the student union that is serving me root beer floats, pizza, pasta, Mm -hmm. like chocolate milk is on tap. Mm -hmm. There's always desserts. (laughs) Like we're not, yeah, it's not, it's not the hot bar at Whole Foods um, at the ASU student, (laughs) student union when I was there. And you take all of those factors on top of, ever-changing hormones are it's not like our brain where okay you get to 23 25 your your brain pretty much has grown to its full capacity and then it starts to maybe change or shrink your hormones are always changing during your life so you're you you see that rise in hormones as you enter your peak fertility years your hormones are changing a little bit throughout those peak fertility years based on external factors and then after you have children hormones have changed And then as you start to decline in your fertility years, your hormones are changing. And our hormones are sensitive. They're like caring for an orchid. Too much light, it'll die. Too little light, it'll die. Too much water, it dies. Too little water, it dies. The wrong kind of fertilizer, it dies. And so I think about all of the stimuli that an 18, 19-year-old girl is taking in. Social pressure, school pressure, um, social media pressure, intake of low-quality food. Um, exposure to a lot of environmental toxins. I remember the floor I lived on always smelled like bleach because people were vomiting or having sex places that they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. So like there was a lot of cleaning that was happening. Mm-hmm. All And all of those things are kind of like ending up at this blender along with your hormones and then we're turning it on. We're just hoping for the best. And I think that's where some of the waking is, yes, maybe like you've never drank before. You go to college, you start drinking. Okay, well... Besides the calories that are in alcohol, there's a huge strain put on your liver and your organs. It impacts your hormones. Maybe you weren't eating a lot of processed food at home. Now you're at college and you're like, hell yeah, I want the ramen every day because I wasn't allowed to have that at home. But I think we also take on a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, You want you you're being you're comparing yourself to other girls. 
Um, maybe you want a boyfriend. Maybe you're going to And you're away support. from home too. And that you're away from home. You're, yeah, you don't have your support yeah. system. Now you have to get good grades or like, God forbid, you fail out of school or maybe you're on scholarship that requires certain grades or you've got financial stress because you just took out a huge mm-hmm. student loan mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, what is going to happen? There are so many things. Then you go on social media, you turn on the news and that doesn't make you feel any better. I can tell you that for a fact. So I think, yes, maybe part of it is definitely that nutritional intake, but there's also so many things happening under the surface that we don't get to see. Um, And that's really when my anxiety and depression started was in college. I started Mm -hmm. having panic attacks my freshman year of college, ended up seeing my first therapist, my first psychiatrist, and there were all of those factors at play. Um, You know, I was super Mm -hmm. self-conscious. I hated the way that I looked. I didn't feel good in my body. I'm seeing girls on campus that are thin, beautiful, in the sororities, have all what looks like to be all the things on the outside. And they probably had their own problems that I did not get to see under the surface. Um, But it's it's unfortunately a societal norm that we've created. Mm -hmm. And before social media, it was magazines. It was TV. You know, there was always this comparison game that we were playing as women of, okay, if I just look like the woman on the cover of the magazine, I'll be happy. I will have a relationship. I'll feel successful or fulfilled, whatever it might be. And now we just see it on social media and we have a way to compare ourselves to everybody else in a different way that doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. And so that's how I got into dieting was I'm gaining weight. I'm really self-conscious. My clothes aren't fitting. Okay. I'll just eat less. I'll just count calories. I'll just eat lean cuisine because I know this is the right portion of food. I know what's how many calories are in it. I didn't know what was in it. Like go read the ingredients on that kind of garbage. It will blow your mind. But I ended up in this cycle of deprivation. I was probably eating maybe 1200 calories a day and I could white knuckle it Monday through Friday and then all hell broke loose. And then I would binge all weekend and then I would feel shame and guilt. And I'd say, okay, Monday, I'm back on it. It's never going to happen again. And that cycle would just repeat over and over again. And so for some women, maybe it's not on the disordered eating spectrum, but it's shutting down. It's like, I'm going to willpower my way through my, my work week. And then I'm exhausted on the weekend. It's similar. Yeah. Similar as you get in the working world and you, it's easy to control yourself during the week you're on the go. And then on the weekends, you just want to unwind. And, and sadly, culturally that sort of is like rewarding yourself with food. I, I feel like a lot of people fall into that bucket, myself included, you know, it's like, well, I'm trying not to drink. Well, I'm just not drinking Monday through Friday, you know, or all those things that you end up maybe unwinding all the things that you've done that are good for yourself. Yeah. And, you and know, I think that I, when it comes to healing our hormones and feeling better, it's that 360 degree view. It's okay, let's look at your nutrition, your lifestyle, your movement, your sleep, your exposure to toxins, your mindset, your relationship with yourself, and the underlying imbalances. What are the roadblocks keeping you from getting where you want to go? And when we start to view food and nutrition as a form of Mm self-care and a form of self-love, we start to shift the way that we look at food. It's funny, when... I just shared a recipe for pet food. Okay. Like I, I give my cats bone broth. And so I showed people on Instagram how to make I saw that. bone broth. I saw that. Yes. And I'm like, we, the care we put into feeding our animals, I'll use that as an example because not everybody has kids, but I think about the care yeah. I put into feeding my pets because I love them so deeply. I want them to be healthy. I want them to live forever. We look at that and then we don't, we don't mirror that onto ourselves in a lot of cases of like, I want to be healthy. I want to feel great. I want to live forever in longevity. Well, that's the goal, you know? Yes. But if we start to flip the script to say, you know, I don't like using the words good or bad with food. Food is immoral. It is an inanimate object. If we assign value to it, we start to feel like we are good or bad based on what we eat. Instead, I like to use the terms nourishing or indulgent. I still eat indulgent foods. I still, I have dessert most days. I love dessert. I have a huge sweet tooth. But my goal is that the majority of my foods are nourishing. Foods that love on my body, support the way that I want to feel. 
Cause I didn't live like that for a very long time. You know, there was a Taco Bell across the street from my dorm. And I visited that many times between the hours of 11 PM and 2 AM. Like that was the reality. I was, I had Taco Bell every day for lunch, my senior year of high school. Yeah. Yeah. And we, it's, I honestly, I don't know if you are feeling any blame on yourself, release it because we are set up to fail. Like never forget that these foods are created in a lab to be hyper palatable, easily overconsumed, and addictive. Mm. It's not any of our faults. And I think especially as women, we are very prone to guilt, shame, blame. I should, I shouldn't. Mm. Oh, if only I'm trying. We put so much of that like negative emotion and weight on ourselves. And it's not our fault. Somebody in a lab created the Dorito to be hyper palatable, overconsumed, and addictive. Nobody eats one Dorito. And when you're done with that bag of Doritos, you want another bag of Doritos because your brain's like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. No food in nature tastes like this. Yeah. And then it perpetuates us wanting more hyper palatable food. I, I, I hope this is appropriate. I relate it to um, overstimulation people get when they watch pornography, for example. I hope this is appropriate to kind of make this correlation for people. Yeah. We're all about porn. You get <laughs> hyper stimulated by pornography and you can get hyper stimulated by food. But of course, a salad is not going to taste good if you're having McDonald's. And for some people that struggle with their sexual relationship with their partner, if you are watching a lot of pornography, you may struggle to be fulfilled or satisfied by regular sex. And it's because our brain is getting hyper stimulated, which actually then decreases satisfaction from nourishing foods. Yeah. Because nature didn't make them hyper palatable. I mean, nature yeah. didn't make them addictive. When did you kind of shift of understanding how, you know, the quality of food, how you can kind of heal yourself with food. So we have that you detox from birth control, right? And then we want to look at the the functional lab testing. And then what's kind of the next step for us? Yeah. So when you start to look at like the foods you're eating in a day and I don't track any foods, I don't have my clients count calories or macros or write anything down. Like we just, we can just live and eat and be well without having apps. We don't need that kind of stuff in our life. (laughs) It's starting to look at, okay, are the foods you're eating balancing your blood sugar? That's a huge thing that I see is there's so much dysregulation in blood sugar in our society, which causes mental health issues. It causes weight gain. It causes fatigue, reliance on sugar, caffeine, whatever that is for you. I start saying, okay, and, and, and how many ingredients are in the foods that I'm eating? So if right now your breakfast is a granola bar that you take out of a box, what's in that? Do you have awareness? Like how many ingredients are on that label? I don't look at nutrition facts for the most part. I look at ingredient lists to say in most cases, fewer ingredients is better. No ingredients is best of, okay, could we swap out that granola bar for eggs or chicken sausage? Or I'm a huge smoothie person. My my community knows that I have a smoothie every single day out of sheer convenience. Even though I work from home and my ability to make food is one minute away, I get busy working. And so having something convenient like that is really important. And it's starting to say like, okay, if right now I'll use a client of mine as an example, not sharing her name. She was going to Trader Joe's and browsing the candy aisle and getting the like Trader Joe's Oreos, uh, you know, a bag of gummy worms, some like cheddar crackers. And it was like, I'm just going to eat a couple, just going to eat a couple and then I'll put it away. And it was never happening. And I said, okay, so what if next time you go to Trader Joe's, you don't even go down that aisle. If it's tempting, we're not even going to look at it. We'll put on our blinders. And what if you got some like apples and almond butter or some cheese sticks or some salami or something else? Like, let's build you your own little adult lunchable at home. And that's what's going to be available to you. And so when you've got that hunger pain, when you're browsing your kitchen for a snack, the gummy worms aren't there. And instead, we could nourish your body with some whole foods, some protein, some healthy fat, and some fiber. You're going to feel a heck of a lot better. You're not going to crash. And the longer you do that, the less you're even going to want the gummy bears, the gummy worms, the candy, the cookies. 
because we're actually going to retrain your palate. We're going to retrain your brain. I used to be a chronic soda drinker. People might not know that about me. I grew up in a household where there was always two liter bottles of soda. My dad still to this day does not really drink water. He drinks Diet Coke. And so for a long time, I was drinking Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, Mm -hmm. Coke, all of those things. Now I can't even drink soda. It tastes vile to me because I haven't had it for so long. And so when we give our body time, we give our palate time, it improves. So yeah, don't go from zero to a hundred. Like if you're not eating vegetables right now, don't like only buy vegetables and then cry trying to eat them. Like that's terrible. Please don't do that. But maybe you could try to introduce one vegetable that you already know that you like. Like I love roasted broccoli. I could eat it by the truckload. Find one vegetable that you know that you like already and start introducing it. And then maybe subtract one thing that you know isn't serving you. If you're buying those gummy worms at Trader Joe's, maybe the next time you're there, you pick up some fruit or some deli meat or something else that you could have as a snack. I love beef sticks. That's like one of my Mm go-to snacks. And maybe you pick that up and just say, you know, I'm just not going to buy the gummy worms anymore because I know if I know they're in the house, I know I'm going to eat them because they have like a gravitational pull to them. And they were not meant to just be eating one. I don't think anybody's ever eaten one gummy worm and said, okay, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm just going to put these away. What so is, think, oh, finish your thought. I don't know. Oh, I just, I think sometimes putting distance between ourselves and those things makes it easier. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. What is, um, speaking of like quick snacks and stuff, what about like for dinner in a pinch, if you have, you know, let's say 15, 20 minutes, what are some things that you always keep in stock in your house, um, as a quick, healthy meal option? Yeah, I am a huge fan of rotisserie chickens. Mm. Um, fun fact about me, I actually used to work at Boston Market. That was like my oh, first job in school. Cool. So I was slinging rotisserie chickens all day. Um, but the asterisk I put on this is like not all rotisserie chickens are created equal. So please don't buy rotisserie chickens at Costco. Um, they are coated in carrageenan, artificial flavors, low quality inflammatory oils, there's a lot of stuff in there that you don't want. So I opt to get my rotisserie chickens at like a Sprouts or a Whole Foods, somewhere that's using like, they're not coating it in anything. They're not putting carrageenan or sweeteners or any type of flavoring agent on it. It's a plain unseasoned rotisserie chicken. You can use it at home in a million different ways. And I am a very like simplistic person when it comes Mm -hmm. to dinners. Take a rotisserie chicken, have it with some kind of sauce. I love chimichurri. I love tzatziki. Mm. I love buffalo sauce. I love salsa. Like find some kind of flavor that you can add to it quickly and easily. And in a lot of cases, if I have like five minutes, Kelly, for dinner, I'm like, okay, here's a side salad. I always have greens in my fridge, salad greens. I always have a salad dressing. I love primal kitchens. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to have Caesar salad with chicken with like some tzatziki sauce. Call it a day. And if you have time to like maybe roast some veggies or have something pre-made ahead of time, awesome. But in Mm, some cases, I um, I always have frozen burger patties in my freezer. Those you can throw on the grill or in a grill pan and have them ready to go in like 10 minutes or less. Chicken sausages are another great one. Those are already pre-cooked. So those are things that you could literally just warm up or toss in a pan to saute. Um, I do breakfast for dinner. I love eggs. Uh, My husband can't do eggs, but I love eggs and eat a lot of eggs. Um, You can do eggs with chicken sausage for dinner. And if you have kids, like I'm sure they would find that to be a blast to have breakfast for dinner Um, or make like some protein pancakes and, you know, put some strawberries on it and call it dessert for them. Um, I don't think it has to be hard. It really doesn't. And, you know, I started Real Health with Wage way back in the day, just sharing healthy recipes to show people that eating healthy, nourishing food can be delicious. I don't feel like I'm deprived of anything. In most cases, I'm like, I don't want to go out to eat because I know the food I make at home is better. It's cheaper. It's better for me. And it tastes better in a lot of cases. Um, And maybe depending on where you live, you might not have access to healthy out to eat options So eating at home and knowing how to cook and make great, delicious, healthy food on your own, I think is hugely empowering um, and a a skill that is getting lost on the younger generations more and more of the importance of 
knowing how to cook, even if it's just a couple simple things. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's definitely a challenge. What about, I was reading about, so we're, our kitchen is like literally being demoed tomorrow. And, um, so I'm moving down to the basement and our like wet bar area. Um, I have heard that frozen and canned vegetables may be equally as healthy as fresh. What is your thought on that? Yeah, my preference is frozen. Okay. So frozen vegetables, they're picked, washed, chopped, whatever they're doing to the veggies. And then they're flash frozen, typically at the peak of freshness. So like, let's use bell peppers, for example. Instead of that bell pepper being picked and then transported all the way to the grocery store, and then it sits there for an unknown amount of time before you purchase it, you could buy a bag of bell peppers that are already chopped and were frozen at the peak of freshness. And they're not going to go bad, so we reduce food waste. They might be pre-chopped, so they're going to save you some time. And they were frozen and locked in all of their nutrients. So I think buying frozen vegetables okay. is a great alternative. I prefer okay. that over canned. Mm -hmm. um, most canned vegetables are in a can lined with BPAs. Okay. And they contain some kind of liquid. And liquids leach chemicals preservatives. out of plastics and okay. can liners into the veggies. Um, tomatoes are a big one. If you can, either buy tomatoes in glass jars or in BPA-free lime cans um, because tomatoes are acidic. So it actually draws more contaminants out of plastics um, than a non-acidic vegetable. But I love frozen veggies. Um, I will, even if I buy my own and freeze them, like if I chop up a bunch of onion, and put them in a bag and put them in the freezer so they're ready to go when I need them. But I've got frozen potatoes. I've got frozen onions and peppers and all those other things because I don't want to waste them. I think we have good intentions yeah. when we buy fresh produce. But if you don't have a plan to use it, then it typically wilts and whittles away in the back of your fridge somewhere. And then it ends up getting disposed of. So I think frozen vegetables can help to reduce that as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great tip. Thank you. Yeah. And I... Love your recipes. Okay. On your website. I have, I, my intent was to make something, but I'm so excited um, to see all of the, the, the variety and stuff that you have. And mm -hmm. I um, don't eat gluten for a variety of reasons. So I love there's a ton of gluten-free bread recipes because sometimes, you know, I'll just go without, you know, I don't just go buy a whole bunch of gluten-free crap. I'll just go without a bready type thing. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I would love to have a muffin or I'd love to have a bread of some site, some type. And I love you have this like paleo banana bread on there and this zucchini bread that looks mm. amazing. Like what inspires you in the kitchen? Yeah. So I've been dairy free and gluten free for over a decade. Um, so all of my recipes are dairy free, gluten free. Most of them are grain free. I don't do a lot of grains at all. Um, they just don't sit super well with my stomach. I feel like I don't digest them as easily as I digest like potatoes, for example. Um, and so when I first started getting into healthier eating, the food was boring. Like I knew how to grill chicken. I knew how to steam broccoli. I knew how to roast potatoes. And I could eat it for a while without getting bored. But then I started to get bored. And my sweet husband is like, Rachel, I'm not going to eat the grilled chicken and broccoli and potatoes over and over and over again. <laughs> um, but I wanted him to eat healthy as well. Yeah. And so the longer I did it, I was like, okay, one, there were foods I was missing. Like I was missing the breads. I was missing the muffins. Um, but I knew for me going to Starbucks and getting a loaf of their banana bread, I was going to pay for it the next day with a migraine or digestive issues or just fatigue or just increased sugar cravings. So I just started recipe testing and saying like, there's got to be a way to make this that would allow me to have my literal cake and eat it too. I have like a double chocolate cake recipe on there with a dairy-free frosting that I make for birthdays um, that like everybody can have and enjoy. Um, and my sister's gluten intolerant. She has not had gluten for, I think, you know, almost 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, gluten doesn't make me feel great either, especially as someone with thyroid dysfunction. Dairy was a huge food sensitivity for me. I, I test all my clients for food sensitivities in addition to hormones to find out what foods are the problem children. Um, and dairy doesn't make me feel my best. So I just started testing and not every recipe is great. Like what you see on social is the stuff that came out the other side of that process that was really good. <laughs> But it's getting creative. It's having fun. It's one of my like creative outlets is being in the kitchen. 
um, because my relationship with food now is very joyful. Food is a way that we connect with people. It's a way we show people love. It's a way we celebrate. And I think that we should be able to have all those delicious foods and feel great. It's not an either or. It's not I feel great because I'm eating roasted potatoes with broccoli and chicken over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. or I'm happy and I'm having the desserts and I'm celebrating with people I love. Like, I don't think that it is that black and white. It's not a zero sum game. It's let's find the foods that make you feel great that you also love to eat and look forward to eating. Um, And for me, that's baked goods, it's desserts, and it's having a variety of foods that taste phenomenal that I can make in like half an hour or less. I'm a huge batch cooker. If you're going to take 30 minutes in the kitchen, mm-hmm. make three times what you think you need so that you don't have to cook every single day. And hopefully okay. my recipes can inspire you or just guide you in the right direction. Or if you're newly dairy-free or gluten-free and you're not sure where to start, or you're not sure how to start cooking or baking in that way, I want to give you a roadmap and some easy places to, to dive into to say like people are like, Rachel, I can never go dairy-free. I can't give up milk. I can't give up cheese. I can't give up ice cream. I'm like, you don't have to. We just need to find alternatives. And there are so many great dairy-free and gluten-free alternatives. And there are things that, like, honestly, you won't even miss. Because, like, my dairy-free tzatziki sauce, you would not know that there's not dairy in that. And I could drink it. I would bathe in it if I could. And I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. And I think that's a big part of, you know, not having a scarcity mindset, not having a lack mindset, is knowing that you can still have everything and feel the way that you want to. I love that. This has been so awesome. I could talk to you for hours. You have given us so many nuggets of wisdom. I can't imagine how awesome it is to be one of your clients and to hear you coaching um, them on some of these great tips and being part of their journeys. So thank you. I feel so lucky. I have the best job in the world and I feel so grateful to do what I do every day Um, because I want everybody to feel the way that I do. Every single woman deserves to look and feel her absolute best Yes, and become a mom if she wants to and live in harmony with her hormones and not be reliant on medications or birth control or feel like I'm just doomed. This is just my fate. Um, I want so much better for every single woman and I know it's possible. I tell people all the time, I'm not a miracle case. I did not have a miraculous recovery that is not accessible to anybody else. Yeah. I was just another girl that had all these problems and had a lot of unresolved things going on in my body that nobody else was trying to fix. And so I fixed them for myself. And now I get to help other people do that. And it's the the best joy in my life. It's truly my life's work. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rach, for joining us. And if you would like to learn more about Rach or, or work with her, you can check her out on social media, Real Health with Rach or at realhealthwithrach.com. Yeah. Thanks, if you have any Rach. questions from this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Connect with me on social, reach out via DMs. Let me know you found me through the podcast. I'm happy to talk with anybody. Like, as you guys know, I could go on for this. Like we could do eight hours of this today. Um, so I, I would love to hear from you and support you in any way that I can, whether it's lab testing or working with me or just answering questions or just sharing, sharing my recipes and advice for healthy living with you to get you started. Did you enjoy Rach as much as we did? If you would like a chance to win Rach's hormone and balance checklist, go to our Instagram page at Chasing Brighter for more details. Thanks for listening.